Welcome to episode 57 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. I'm joined once again, it's a bit later tonight by Darren Hill, but Darren, you really did want to talk about the, the Milwaukee Bucks, a bit of free agency news coming out of Milwaukee in the last week, so uh, I know we wanted to get on and have a chat about it, but how are you tonight anyway? Yeah, good. I was um, in the kitchen, Daz, making lunches, cooking up a fish curry for the week, you know, packaging up for lunches the next couple of days, so yeah, uh, duty never sleeps, does it, so. And, and pouring curry, one out for the Jabari Parker era in uh, Milwaukee, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, uh, that's a fair call. That's true. That's that's whiskey. That's Jack Daniels in the can now. Not with mixed with Coke either. That's just straight. (laughs) So yeah. So obviously the, I guess it was this restricted free agency period's been pretty interesting with how things have unfolded for the various guys. Um, Julius Randall on the low end, right? Uh, Remarkably going for what two years and eighteen million. Aaron Gordon kind of hitting a pretty fair, not a jackpot, but I thought was a a slight overpay, but probably good good chance he outperforms his value on a four-year 84. Uh, Will Barton somehow extracted $54 million out of out of Denver. And a couple of guys still hanging in the wind, right, with uh, Marcus Smart and Clint Capella both getting equally disenfranchised with, with their teams. And then Mr. Overpay, Zach Levine. Again, I think overpay, but against probably not a, a catastrophic type of contract the way that a Wiggins contract could be or a Chris Paul contract, but um, Zach Levine getting his, what was it, $78 million over four years in the end. Yeah. Um, Nurkic got about, I guess, three years, 40 guaranteed. I found that that fourth year is a non-partial guarantee of $4 million, effectively three years, 40 for Nurkic, which is typical um, purgatory dollar values for, for Portland out there. And then Mr. Parker, right, Jabari, with the um, – this was a low, prob- a very predictable, but we thought a low probability was to have happen what did, which is getting the QO rescinded and letting Jabari become an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, and we did touch on that last week, didn't we? Yeah. We said maybe it's going to be a matter of the Bucks saying go out and test UFA because obviously the offers are going to be different between UFA and RFA. See what, and clearly, as soon as those sort of offers came in, the Bucks said, "Well, we're not going to match." What I read, and I'm not sure if you've read the same, is they they were sort of valuing him around the eight nine million at most, and once it sort of went over the ten million, the Bucks went, "Well, we're out of it." And it's interesting. A final point before I throw back to you about the, the Zach Levine. He's only done his knee once. So clearly if you do your knee once, you can get a four-year deal at $20 million a season. When you do it twice, you're only good for two years. And it is a team option on the second year as well uh, for the Bulls. Yeah. Yeah, look, and that's, um, that's right. Look, the injury risks are, are quite known. The ACL injuries are freakish, but there's uh, someone who suffered them myself. And who studied that intimately? It's there's a lot of biomechanics which are largely out of the guy's control. So, um, so the point is, if the, if you get a second ACL tear, you're even more likely to get a third. That's the sad reality of ACL tears; they're just more and more likely to occur multiple times. But um, this isn't a, the doctor, Doctor Daz and Daz Pod, <laughs> although that could be a, a bit of fun if we had to call in. So Jabari Parker is on the Chicago Bulls. Um, what was very clear, something happened, I guess, over the last few months, just from the Bucks' perspective, where it started to be clear that he was not really part of the core, even under the, the kid Prunty system. You know, when you've missed that much time and Giannis ascends the way he has, 
They add Eric Bledsoe last year, you know, a good scoring threat from the point. Chris Middleton continuing to be a darling of all analytics and um, just, a, just a darling player around the league, you know, super efficient second scorer. Um, just no spot for Jabari. And when he did come back from his injury this time, um, he had some he had some dazzling moments. If you look at, I was just quick watching a little bit of nostalgia highlights when he went off for 35 points against Denver just in April, the 1st of April, and just some of the explosive moves he gets at the point. If he gets going downhill, he's so bloody skilled with the ball in his hands on the offensive end. But the point, those were the few and far between those moments when he took over games. Just no obvious fit um, on the team. And then you bring in the Budenholzer um, regime. He of the famous, right, using probably the, you know, he's more of a systems guy, more of a developmental sort of coach. And they add players like Ersan Ilyasova at 12.01 and Brooke Lopez, you know, very productive big in his own right. With Giannis, who will play 38 minutes a game, um, and you just go, there's there's literally no place for Jabari. So um, there's, not the, there's not any silver linings here for Milwaukee. This has been a sad, tragic comedy. Um, not much comedy to it other than you have to laugh at the ridiculousness of it of where the one time we get an amazing draft pick from a star player and it, it turns out like this. So there's a bit of what was me uh, going on in, in Milwaukee. Um, when you do look at the, if there is such a thing as a bright side, is almost the avoiding an Andrew Wiggins contract. Um, so I think the, the things that do keep me sane about this sort of thing for a player as talented as him is that I'd actually rather have let Jabari walk for nothing than to be, uh, strapped with a $150 million contract like Minnesota strapped with Andrew Wiggins. Um, so from the Bucks' perspective, it's sad, but they've moved on clearly. From Jabari's perspective, this is why I always talked about a one-plus-one. One, um, always seemed the most likely a two-plus-one would have been possible on a lower per annual rate, but this way he gets he gets some life-changing money with the $20 million. Um, it's not anywhere near what he wanted. You know, he, he wanted Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon type money, or, or dare I say, he wanted Giannis money. So back when Giannis took his four-year, hundred million dollar extension, part of that was due, and in no small part, for the expectation that Jabari is going to be signing a very similar, if not exactly the same contract. So, from the player's perspective, you know he's, you know, his head was always around having a hundred million dollar sort of contract. But this is good short-term money for him. He gets to go home, at least for a year anyway, and probably play from in a system far better suited to him in Freddie Hoiberg's system um, than trying to play some sort of six-man role or an occasional closer in Milwaukee. And he just didn't have the temperament, right, to do that, or their attitude to sort of take a backseat, a little bit of little bit of alpha dog in him, a little bit of that Carmelo give-me-the-damn-ball mentality, which is which is fair enough. It's his right to do that. Um, oh, so I think, I think it's just he, it's just sad for Jabari. I mean, from Milwaukee to stay around Milwaukee, it's just sad because the, the you could see the fit when he was up and about before the second ACL injury, and he was better than Andrew Wiggins. I don't think there's any question about that before he got injured, 
and then obviously yeah. the injuries. I mean, you might you'd probably still rather have Jabari on his contract than than Wiggins on his. But in terms of just in a vacuum, player versus player, uh, he he was clearly better. I think from the evidence that we saw, or certainly looked like he was trajectory in the right way. Uh, whereas sort of Wiggins has plateaued a bit in his in his development. So I think that's where it's really sad from Milwaukee's point of view. Uh, it is. It's super sad. The, that's the overwhelming. That's actually the overwhelming feeling. It's just, you know, it's the shaking your head. It's the, you know, we drafted Bogut and he gets undercut on a dunk, a freakish injury that truly, truly affected his career, right? And which turned into a debacle of a trade, which, you know, sent the, sent the team in that trajectory. Now this, you know, our next closest thing to having a top draft pick is, you know, suffers an ACL, double ACL tear. And just, it's just, it's just really fucking sad. Um, well, the funny thing, just to revisit that trade, when that yeah. trade was made, most people thought this was Golden State going into a into a tank and going into a prolonged dive. And you remember just after that, they booed Chris Mullen uh, during um, the presentation or during his jersey retirement. Or they didn't boo, they booed during the jersey retirement. Wasn't that Chris Mullen? But um, and it actually ended up being Milwaukee who sort of got Monte Ellis to make a run at the eight seed, and it was them that. Uh, very quickly fell off the perch well that trade was panned in milwaukee very very widely there was no it, it that was a again i don't want to turn this into a bucks pod but that was a very clear um fuck you moment by the, the leadership to give scott skiles right scott skiles the, the gritty defensive minded you know head coach at the time who had been strapped to brandon jennings as his point guard which was hard enough for him Right to go. How do I build my system around a guy like Brandon Jennings, who's a water bug, very skilled offensively, but he's a complete turnstile on defense. To then double down and give Scott Skiles only Brandon Jennings, but Monte Ellis, you know, when the magical fear of the deer season, when the Bucks played so well with again, when he had this one year of glory, John Salmons at the rugged two to help Jennings in the backcourt and Bogut the anchor in the center. That was actually quite a dynamic little team there. And so Skiles had something. He had himself a nice, you know, 46-win sort of core. So, anyway, that that was a that that trade was panned by by Bucks nerds, basically saying this is literally impossible to have those two guys in the backcourt. Add to it having a defensive-minded coach, which led Skiles to basically quit, you know, halfway through the, that next season. Anyway, we super digress there, Daz. Um, don't get me started. And <laughs> Jabari's and the Bulls. I'm I'm I think from a Chicago's perspective, it's you know, they had different ways to use their cap space, right? They could use it the way that Brooklyn has been using it to acquire players and picks like Brooklyn's done with Ken Fareed, Daryl Arthur getting a, a, a pretty nice, maybe like a mid-round, first-round pick next year in all likelihood from Denver. That's one way to use space. Or they use it the way the Lakers did, which is sign a whole bunch of Flotsam and Jetsam um, around LeBron, a superstar, and some, you know, some role players. Or they take a chance like they've done with two younger players with noted injury histories, but who both have a chance to outplay their contracts with Levine and Jabari. So that Chicago Bulls team's not going to play a ton of defense. You know, if you got Market and Jabari, you know, Wendell Carter's pretty skilled, but, you know, that's going to be a pretty turnstile team, probably playing at a lot of pace. Um, but, man, it'll be fun to watch Market and if Market slides at the five and Jabari plays in four, dare I say I might be watching some Bulls. Um, next year and that's the weird thing about this is it's it's depressing from what's happened to the player it's depressing he couldn't fit it's depressing to watch his skills not be able to blend in um and and from a 
you know, nerd perspective to have an asset like that that they're incapable of turning into anything in return is it's pretty it's just sad but um but everyone's cheering for Jabari because he was such a community guy um even literally last week was seen um at Summerfest which is a big music festival in Milwaukee out in the crowd and on stage and shaking hands with people and you know just you know days before he was going through this contract situation, literally out and about in Milwaukee. So quite a dichotomy of a character for Jabari. Such a, such a guy who's so rarely, right. He's, he gave Milwaukee the treatment that Marvin Bagley gave Sacramento, but it was genuine. He genuinely spent time in, in the community and, and did all kinds of stuff. So it's a bitter, very, very bittersweet ending, but, um, but off they go off the bucks go with Giannis and, and Urson, uh, Ilyasova at the four and, and dot, dot, dot. Good luck to Jabari. Yeah, look, I, I, I think it's interesting there, the amount of teams. We're seeing teams either go the, the route of the defensive type teams and like they want to slow it down, or teams that are just going, well, you know, we're going to punt on defense, we're just going to play with pace uh, and see if we can outscore people on a night-to-night basis. Uh, so Chicago certainly going in that direction, uh, and you've got teams like, obviously, Houston with a, with a classic of going in the other direction last year where they sort of went more defensive-minded. Mm. Uh, so mm. it, it's interesting the way some of those terms are sort of choosing to go. From the Bulls' point of view, obviously you're taking on a fair bit of injury risk there. They have, we've, we've reasonable size contracts, but obviously they're not tied to Jabari longer term. Um, I don't hold any great hopes that he's going to recapture the magic, Daz, to be honest. He, he gets There's a bit of a Brandon Roy feeling about some of this um, in terms of you might see some glimpses every now and again, but I think longer term, I just can't see him... Um, being able to get it back where night to night he's able to to come out and, and dominate the way he was looking like he he was going to uh, before the second ACL injury. Uh, whereas obviously Levine, we've only doing it once. You know, there, there's a bit brighter prospects, I guess, um, of him being able to reach yeah, his ceiling. Look, that's true. And the sad irony, just on on the injury point, was I was thinking about Joel Embiid, right, in that 2014 draft class, which was Wiggins, Embiid, Jabari, which were the clear you know, top three picks. Um, most people, I think, I don't know, it, was, it definitely wasn't consensus. Um, but, you know, I think the Wiggins was sort of tipped at number one. Um, but there was a lot of talk in Milwaukee that Wiggins would be a, a really good fit next to this, you know, young, stringy kid, Giannis, who was nowhere near what he is today. Um, and or Embiid being an anchor next to him as well, sort of letting the thought was, if Giannis ever grew into this body the way he did, it'd be great to have a bruising center next to him. So it was... It was a very known known that if Giannis developed the way he he could, that he and Jabari were having positional redundancy, and they just sort of said, "Look, he's such a great kid, so ridiculously skilled on offense. We'll we'll cross that bridge." And so it's um, it's just ironic now, right, that the where Embiid is at, and to just imagine the front court of Giannis and, and Embiid <laughs> um, is cruel, right? To think about to think about that. Um, had the Bucks taken a chance on him then? There's no way to know this stuff. This is the, the cruelty of the, the irony and a lot of the luck that goes into building a team. So I can, I can go oh, dream off into space about a Giannis and Embiid, you know, um, trucking Golden State, the Golden State Warriors <laughs> um, in a fantasy um, uh, finals in a, in a far, far, far away land. But here we are. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's sad. It's sad. It's sad. It sucks. 
sad looking back. I mean, I, I do like the Brook Lopez signing. You touched on that. Um, that was a little bit of brighter news, I guess. At least there's finally a reasonable centre there in uh, Milwaukee. And look, I, I'm bullish on the Bucks from this point of view. I, I listened to Mike Budenholzer uh, on uh, Woj's pod last week, and I was impressed with uh, how he's already sort of hit the ground running. And this is going to be a team very much based around uh, Giannis. And I think la- the, you know, before that, it was very much based around Jason Kidd. Uh, and now I think it's it's going to be much more Giannis-centric, looking at ways, the best ways to use him um, through the offence. So I'm, I'm excited to see that from a Bucks point of view. And I think I said to you uh, just in their messages that whatever Giannis is paying for MVP next year, I want a piece of it because I think he should be um, the clear favourite, in, in my view, uh, to, to take that award out. So I think there's better days ahead for Milwaukee, but obviously there is that sliding doors moment where you look back and think, if Jabari doesn't get injured, if we take Embiid, you know, if if any number of different things could have happened. But I guess Philly can look at it the same way and say, you know what, we took Miles Carter Williams ahead of sure. others as well. Yeah. So there's always yeah. those those sort of moments, um, Daz. So we'll see where where things um, go from there. Well, quickly on the Brook Lopez signing from the Bucks, though, what, what was your take on that one? Well, I loved it. So for as much as we hated the amount of money and the timing of Urson. Um, it was almost completely balanced out with the – I thought that was even really cheap. I knew this was a tough season for big men, but I thought Brooke was going to get way more than that. I thought he'd get the, probably the full mill level. I thought he might get Julius Randle money somewhere, like a two years 15, something like that, two years 20 um, for a team desperate. So to get him on the the biannual was, I think, is a steal. So it's kind of calmed – certainly calmed Bucks fandom down and a lot of the punditry down – saying, look, if you take a step back and said you got Urson and Brooke Lopez for basically, you know, uh, $10.5 million for next year, that's a pretty good value. And what that probably signals for uh, for the first time in a long time is a clear, a really clear plan, right? They targeted these two guys. They got their two guys. And um, so say what you will about the overpay of Urson. I think Brooke makes a ton of sense, especially the way he can stretch it. And he can, he can now play um, – if you you know Bledsoe is a, a little bit of an asterisk, but you can play, you know you can play four out around Giannis now. If you got Brogdon at the point, or even that's the, that's the, again the theory of Dante Divincenzo, um, who can shoot threes off the bounce. So you can theoretically surround Giannis now with with four shooters, a la you know LeBron in, in Cleveland. And um, so I I can see where they're going with their personnel, which is a nice thing. Nice thing to see. So, loved the Lopez signing. It almost cancelled out the misery of, of, of the overpay for Urson. Yeah, I think we'll see more of Sterling Brand than Dante shooting off the dribble or not, to be honest, next year. And uh, I can tell you the direction they're not yeah, going probably. in. And that's they're not going in the DJ Wilson direction, Daz, because I, I caught a bit of him in Summer League. And uh, it was uh, underwhelming. To say the least. <laughs> that is the nicest word to use on <laughs> DJ Wilson. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, Richard Vaughan was on the end of um, the bench there. I think it might have been for Brooklyn in the summer league, so he couldn't even get on the court. So uh, good times for the uh, for the last two first round picks for the Bucks. Let's let's move on. What I wanted to break down as the I guess. Winners and losers a bit cliched, but to look at the, I guess, three teams we liked, three teams we necessarily didn't like um, in free agency. Last year we did a team-by-team breakdown, but there was, 
I'm sure there's a team out there that's not done a thing. I'm, I haven't found them yet. I tried to sort of look today and say, surely there's a team that just basically just re-signed who they had and didn't sign anyone. Um, but we've, like my team, the Spurs, for example, they signed Bellinelli. That's been it. They haven't bought anyone else in. Tony Parker's left. We just touched on the Bucks. They've signed Ursan and, and Book. But a lot of teams... Well, have... you let slow-mo... Sorry to interrupt, but you know, remind you about your own team. You let slow-mo go. You, you know, re-signed Bertans. We re-signed some go. guys and let let yeah TP and 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 Carl mm-hmm. Anderson go. So yeah, it's um it was under <laughs> an underwhelming. Uh, but the team with no action, literally, I don't know if they had a single transaction. Is Cleveland? Has Cleveland done well? And they're in my. <laughs> I said my comment on Cleveland when I said losers is Cavs. Hello, is anybody out there? Because <laughs> true, they've not what they've not they? been linked to anything. They've not done anything they've just it's it's like they don't exist it's like lebron has left and it's just now there's tumbleweeds you know blowing down the street past the rock and roll hall of fame there in cleveland like there's nothing there's nothing doing anymore shell shocked or i don't know colin sexton looked pretty good in summer league but oh i lie they just signed channing fry oh they got they got channing fry back what the can't believe it. I was, I was just reading it to myself. I go, what? Yeah, yep. well, maybe they'll bring RJ back. At least they'll have a decent podcast to <laughs> yeah. see through the season. So, But that's, yeah, you're right. There, there's the team that's absolutely done nothing. Um, and, and obviously, the partly is that they're capped out. So, uh, you know, trying yeah. to keep LeBron happy and LeBron not giving him the, the benefit of a few years to plan as he's done in LA, um, they've just sort of loaded up every year and every year. And now they're way over the cap, even with LeBron bolting to the Lakers um, in free agency. And I'm sure that's not going to hurt his legacy any, but it, it doesn't make make their job any easier in trying to bring free agency and they'll do some sort of moves. Um, and I think there may still be some moves they make in terms of trades and things like that and, and salary dumps, but that's going to be the the only thing. And it's hard for them with a salary dump because, you know, the picks you're giving up, it's not like when Denver doing a salary dump and hoping that they're giving away a pick in the 20s. The Cavs might be picking in the teens next year, does, depending oh, on how their season they goes. You know? Yeah. So that's where they they really are stuck um, in terms of trying to get 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 off salary um, and the, maybe some of the young assets for what they are is what they're going to have to attach guys like Larry Nance and I mean Jordan Clarkson's still being thrown around as some sort of an asset so I'm not sure what sort of interest there may be in him he's expensive he's like nine, ten million, isn't he that's right so that's exactly yeah. exactly the type of contract you don't want which we've spoken about a few times uh, Larry Nance is probably the guy with the most value at the moment and Rodney Hood still hasn't signed yet either uh, so we'll wait and see I guess what, what they do with Rodney Hood whether they keep him on or not and just sort of see if he can meet his potential to some degree so uh, there's a guy who's just the, the rare the rare guy who might really benefit from the QO as the team would as well if you now can just let, literally almost let him slide into the three and you know, play 30 minutes a night and see what you can get could be good value for Cleveland, who probably, you know, want to try and sell some tickets and not, you know, not have a complete, you know, misery festival around Colin Sexton, you know, creating a new culture. Um, because what you saw from Hood, right, and what we all saw famously in the postseason wouldn't wouldn't fill you with a lot of confidence about his future. You know, but so I would see extreme hesitancy with signing him to anything anything long-term and he's had bloody chance after chance hasn't he 
I wonder if there's just something, you know, something between the ears with Hood. But um, I actually think Kua would make sense for him. Yeah, well, he Don't needs you, a but... oh, he needs a very rehabilitative value. There's no yeah. doubt. But I think a lot of players, play. yeah, a lot of players are already eyeing off that 2019 summer. We've, we've, everyone's going to have cap space again, and there's going to be money thrown around, and the, and there's going to be a Sacramento that says the Rodney Hood here, he's, you know, four years, fifty million. If if yeah. he puts up numbers this year, that's um, it. So that that's that's where I think you're 100 percent right. I think that the qualifying offer makes sense for both teams, but look. Maybe Cleveland saw something in him, and he has shown flashes in his career. And they go, you know what? We'll take a punt on this guy because the, the, they're the sort of bets that teams like Cleveland now need to make, like we're seeing with the Bulls. And and you hope that they pay off. Yeah, it's true. You get, you get, he's going to be at a discount. He's also, you know, he's had a pissy attitude. Um, he's been traded, and you know, he's probably not going to get any more. His value's not going to get much lower. Right, so I go. He's got a good chance. It's a fair point. If he maybe do a two plus one or something, it's a fair chance he'd outplay that a contract like that. So um, I just don't. I just don't see him doing. I think he'd bet on himself. And if I'm Cleveland, I go give this guy a giant carrot, which says you know play in the QO and we'll start you, we'll play you 28, 30 minutes a game and let you, you know, be, try to become a bit of a high usage kind of player. That's what that's what I do. You know, let him loose. Um, yeah, and then nothing, they've got the bird rights anyway, so they can they can offer right. him more than anyone yeah. else next yeah. off season, regardless. I forgot about Hood. So him, Marcus Smart, and Capella are still kind of hanging hanging out there, aren't they? Yeah, well, Capella got a five year, eighty five million dollar offer, um, which he knocked back. So I don't know how much higher that was. That reported? Go. Was that? Was that rumored or was that actually reported? Well, that was reported. Well, it's what I read today. I read. You know, hundred tweets a day, just searching for Kawhi Leonard's okay. name. Does so. Sometimes I just come across these. Things. I did see a five. He knocked back five year eighty five. Um, but wow. again, whether that was just uh, speculation or whether that's an actual report, but gee, you wouldn't think they're going to be offering much more than that for for Capella. Oh no, is he so, worth more than that? I, I well, I don't think that he feels like, is. I don't think he is either. Right? I don't think right. he is. So. Yeah, well, I think that the rumors he wanted to hunt, he wanted to get paid like Gobert, you know, sort of Gobert, Stephen Adams money, the, the 20, 22, 25 million. Capella reportedly turned down a five year, $85 million contract last week. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Oof. So it's he's a different playing, market. See. I mean, I, I, yeah. is he better than Stephen Adams at the moment? He's certainly not better than Gobert in my estimation. Well, it's fit. Right, you put Capella in gold in Oklahoma City, and I'd say it's not a great fit. Mm. Um, he's perfect. Well, he Houston knows it, doesn't do. he? At Houston, you need yeah. me. Like Houston need him more than he needs Houston at the moment. In, in a sense, it doesn't, don't they? Yeah, especially losing. They're on my sad face list for the losers <laughs> here, Daz. If sort of to leapfrog, leapfrog there with you know, inexplicably. But I guess the the. Maybe the logic is because of the ownership and, you know, not wanting to pay the tax, but letting Ariza walk, which we talked about last time. And now we just learned this last week that um, Baumute as well went back. He's He's gone. And he went for cheap. Like, he went for part of the mid-level. They didn't want him. They didn't want him. As far as I'm concerned, they just didn't want to bring him back. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and this is... You wonder that you wonder what the conversations are behind the scenes there at Houston, whether the ownership said last season, roll the dice with this team 
But if you're going to pay Chris Paul big money, you're not bringing back this whole team again because I'm not. I, well, I'm here's not your paying budget. Yeah, here's your budget. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so this is your roll of the dice. You better win it this year with this squad because you're not going to have the same squad come back next year. Um, so you know that uh, it'd be interesting to see what what Daryl Moore would say if you could get the actual honest you know, words out of him in terms of what's going on behind the scenes there in Houston. But it makes I mean, look, James Ennis. I don't mind James Ennis as a player, but it's a downgrade from Trevor Ariza to put it mildly. And yeah. um, it, it, he's a, he's an upgrade shooting wise on Nambar Mute, but a downgrade from a defensive point of view. And he didn't well, play well in Detroit yeah. last year, where I thought he'd be a beautiful fit. Yeah, and to be fair to Bob Mute, he, he was pretty efficient. You know, he wasn't high, you know, wasn't high usage on a lot of attempts, but he was pretty, pretty efficient from downtowns. And Ennis is a little bit more volume, but you know, not quite as you know, not quite the percentage. But um, yeah. So I don't like what the Rockets have done, and they, it's just, it's just. Well, even what about Carter Williams? What? Oh, that's like that. Just, that makes they, no they sense. Were my, they were on my sad list before I remembered Michael Carter Williams. Yeah, well. Well played, as Okay, I'm just throwing an arrow over them with the downward. And we keep bringing him up, and people think, yeah, well, we might be picking on him, but he he, he will play. play. He's going to play yeah. for this team. So sure. how does that... Uh, I don't understand how that makes you better placed to beat the Warriors. So the Warriors add Boogie Cousins, and they lose to... Well, certainly Aruza was a key contributor, and Bar Muto was a key contributor in their regular season, not so much in the post-season because of injury. Uh, and they bring in James Ennis and, and Carter Williams to they replace were the, them. That's the, that was the, the, the strategy, was to have these six, eight wings who can at least make life harder for Durant and Draymond and for Clay, And then that was what we loved about how they executed that with Ariza and Tucker and Mabat Mute, etc. So they're going in a different direction, which is which is a head scratcher. It really is a head scratcher with what what they got planned. I can understand uh, the what, theory. What Look, they wanted they needed to bring in a, a backup point guard for Chris Paul, I think, and just um not even so much to lessen the minutes, but if they're going to truly stagger him and him and Harden, and if Harden's going to have games off or whatever it may be, just have another ball handling option out there, which I don't think they had when it was just Harden or just uh, Chris Paul out there. But uh, I don't think Michael Carter Williams is the answer, Daz. I'm not sure if you agree with that hot take, but uh, I can't see why. Surely there were better options out there. Put well, it that way. what we saw from Houston was just right, <laughs> supreme discipline and IQ around executing the same the same two plays <laughs> over and over and over, right? Yeah. And like Michael Carter Williams is neither a great initiator nor a great player to be standing in the corner. So I go, what is he actually gonna do? Right? And I go, so I as I said in the last pot, if he can play, you know, the the super poor man's Joe Johnson role, which is in the switch heavy everything that they do um, he, he does have a, he does have a decent post game. I do remember that, and maybe that memory is going back two seasons. But you know, he, he's a good player in the post. He's Sean Livingston esque, you know, when he can get switched up on, you know, smaller you know smaller defenders. But I go that is a look. If that's a minimum salary skill, then look. Let's be honest, right? They're paying a minimum, so this is not exactly a you know it's not actually a, a, not a big risk that they're taking, and they're not expecting you know, 24 minutes a game from him. So I don't want to go too far in MCW, but 
it's just a bizarre it's a bizarre skill to pay for and of all the teams who I guess earn benefit of the doubt especially with their analytics capability I'm leaving open the possibility that they've they've got something in their models right a skill that he has that they want to pay for so that's that's all I got Daz that's the hat I'm hanging um, that's the, the hook I'm hanging my hat on is analytics is that's all I got. But well, I still don't like what they've done. It just doesn't seem – last year didn't seem like such a cohesive plan. And we saw them one domino after the other fall, especially Tucker and Bob Mute. And we just – the whole world goes, wow, that's just – I can see that strategy. I just can't see what their plan is, you know, other than getting downgrades, you know, from at a couple of positions to save money. And well, their depressing. plan is to save money. That's you hit the nail. That's right what's there. depressing. That's, That's the plan. Depressing. So, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, you say, well, we we maybe if we bring back the exact same team, we're going to be paying a lot more money, and maybe we beat the Warriors. If everything falls our way, we might have a shot at beating the Warriors, but likely we fall in the Western Conference Finals. And if things don't go our way, maybe we don't even get that far. That's probably the, the sum of what they've locked out and went, you know what, we'll just save some money. But then if, if you're in a competitive business, I just don't understand that mentality, does it? And I understand from an ownership point of view, you know, you know, there is a budget there and you don't want to just want to be an endless pool well, this, of cash. Yeah, but what I've, what, you know, what you know about this group is, you know, this is a conglomerate. They own multiple... They own multiple entities, and it's just clear the Rockets are not there. It's not the crown jewel in their in their portfolio. So yep. it's making all kinds of noise here. So you know, we rolled out the just the all the the this time last year. It was like all right, you know, especially after the um, after the Kyrie trade. It was like all right, just give the give the trophy to Golden State. It's even more so this year, where the one thing um, that I certainly called and it wouldn't have been the only take to make, but when you saw this off season was going to be full of undervalued free agents, and not a lot of, not a lot of cap space. You just knew golden state was going to get great players on great value. And sure enough, they've, they've done just that. They've actually gotten better, right? They've gotten better and deeper and get more of a weapon now with boogie. And, and it's just, it, it's just our reality. We're going to have to find, I guess the inversely, the inverse uh, um, inverse drama with the playoffs, I'm trying to say, where the early rounds of the playoffs are probably more exciting and more drama than than the conference finals and the, and the NBA finals are going to be. And that's just that's just the shape of the sport at the moment. So, Well, uh, I think the reality on, is, too, the, the, as much as we've criticised the East, the, the biggest threat to the Warriors, such that there is a threat, is probably going to come from the East um, because it's either going to be Philly or Boston. That to me uh, would will be a bit bigger threat than what yeah. Houston are. In Boston, with their endless sort of supply of wings, right? Yeah. If they if their roster stays the way it, well, they've it got the defensive right strategy yeah. to worry the Warriors. That that's the only team I would say defensively, and that's where a Boogie Cousins may come in handy against against the Celtics, yeah. um, because defensively they can, and, and really defensively Philly can worry anyone, but you just, I, I still think they're going to be at least two years away from being their optimal, um, at their optimal level, and we'll get to Philly in a moment, but I think, I think 
Boston and Philly, to me, are the two teams um, set up to give the Warriors a run, um, such that it will be, and it'll probably be a five-game series rather than a sweep, does. Um, but, yeah, I think certainly Houston have taken a step back, which is, is very disappointing um, from their point of view. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, so this is waiting way ahead of ourselves, but if the, the gigantic assumption of all, all health being equal, and you've got right, Dragon Slayer Kyrie, Surrounded by you know Al Horford, Jason Tatum, you know JB and Gordon Hayward. I mean that's a that's a bloody that's again that's the Dragon Slayer with four Swiss Army knives of players. And I go that probably is the best possible NBA starting five of the NBA teams at the moment, right? Who could who could make life difficult for Golden State the, with the IQ, the shot making, um, the defense, and the, again the coaching. Again, we're way off track and ahead of ourselves, but I'm mm. with you. I think that might be uh, that's now suddenly more interesting than, um, than you know one hamstring the one hamstring Houston Rockets team. Their entire season completely fell apart with a not even a major hamstring industry injury, right? Mm. Chris Paul would have, what would Chris Paul miss? You know, he probably would have been back and he would have missed five games or something. Missed a couple of weeks, right? It wasn't even a it wasn't like he, he blew it out. So to say, oh, I think he probably he possibly could have been back for the NBA finals if they make it. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was a it was a pull, right? It wasn't something severe. So, mm. um, anyway, um, well, we, another, guess, sorry, you go ahead. Yeah, so move on to we we mentioned this player in Barmuta, and I wanted to move on to him. Um, not to, not to rag on him so much because I like Barmuta as a player, but the team he went to. We discussed them last week, Daz, but I think it's relevant to look at them again based on this signing. And I think you said to me before we got on there, they've now got something like 19 players on their roster. This is the Los Angeles Clippers. Someone needs to explain to me what they're doing because I, I cannot, for the life of me, when I look at this roster and this team construction work out, what in God's name is going on there? <laughs> The best take I read was Kevin Pelton on ESPN said, um, "If if the if the NBA has a tournament of of the, of the third strings, this the Clippers are the odds-on favorite." <laughs> as effectively as he goes, they've got they got five guys you could cut who should be, probably be rotation players, with Sam Decker and Taya Dosich and and Wallace and um, and 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 it's crazy. I. I, I I have no idea what the Clippers are doing. So just just a quick recap. Um, the Clippers have, what have they done, Daz? They've signed Baamute. Signed um, Avery Bradley. Re-signed Avery Bradley. Re-signed Avery Bradley on a multiple-year deal, if we're not mistaken, right? Yes. Traded for Gortat. That's, that's right. Traded gotten, up in the draft to get another guard. Shai Gilgis-Alexander, that's yep. right. Yeah. And Jerome Robinson, and they still have Juwan Evans, Anson Darius Thornwell, and Taya Dosich, and Patrick Beverly, <laughs> and Avery Bradley. It seems like we're still missing somebody. Well, um, I had so I seven they, guards in their rotation at my last count. Yeah, they they have many guards as the Golden State head centers, which I just can't, I can't, I can't, I can't justify any of it. I don't even have, I don't have words, Daz. I don't have words. Are they tanking? Are they not? Are they trying to play, build a defensive team? Are they what? I I don't know. 
I, I don't know what. No it, it, that's the thing. What's the style they're going to play? What's the what's the long term strategy here? Are they just trying to get assets that they can trade on? If so, who are the assets that they're going to trade on? They've got some players are the good defenses, defenders. Some players are the horrible defenses. Some players are the good scorers. Some players are the black holes. There's just it's it's like you're looking at a puzzle, but there's three different puzzle pieces, and the kids have all thrown it back in the one box. And you pull it out and go, well, there's no way I can put this together because the pieces don't fit. No, that's right. They also signed Mike Scott. I forgot about that. Well, that's they really what they need to stretch for. To play with Gallinari and Tobias Harris and Stan Decker, you mean? The other, <laughs> the three other stretch exactly. fours that they have? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus Christ. It's just like we need to go four deep at every position with the same type of player. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I just can't even get my begin to get my head around um, what this team's doing. And I thought maybe there was a nod, nod, wink, wink. The two days it wasn't going to opt in, and then that two days she's opted in, opted in after they re-signed well, the Avery Bradley. Was, well, the thought was he's going to opt in, and they were going to cut, just release him, right? Just well, they haven't as yet. They haven't done it. No, they haven't. So I. So I don't know. They've got some decisions. They've got some decisions to make, right? Um, oh, and forget about Montrez Harrell, who's he's been. That's been a surprisingly quiet name on the restricted free agent market as well. So um, if, I thought they bought him, him back, gonna... so they they haven't bought him back yet. So that's mm-hmm. the one player they wanted to resign. They haven't yet resigned. So that that that's would just top that... their their summer off, wouldn't it? If they don't resign Harrell, but that would be sixteen guaranteed contracts. That's the point. Well, I don't think they can now, unless they look, cut someone. Well, yeah, well, they want to let. If you want to let Patrick Beverly go, right? Well, I don't Beverly's, think they'll do he, that. That's what I'm saying. He's, he's non guaranteed. So they either got trades they're trying to make. Or they, maybe they're trying to become the Miami Heat of of the West. I mean, the only thing they'll say their, their cap sheet's not looking too bad heading into next summer. Um, for my at least for my understanding yeah. of it, uh, yeah. so they can be free agent players there, but everyone's going to be a free agent player. So these teams that are sitting there saying, "Oh, how smart are we? We're going to be free agent players next summer." Well, guess what? Take a number and stand in line. And who's going to be lining up to play for to, with Tobias Harris and Avery Bradley and whatever other flotsam and jetsam that they're going to be throwing out there? Yeah, that's perhaps the only. The only thing you do see here is that they're just, you know, collecting short-term contracts and collecting a bunch of bodies, and are going to just start. They're going to start the tank. Maybe that's is that what they're doing? Starting the tank process. Um, well, this isn't the team that set up the tank, though, is it? Well, this this team is what at best the eleventh team in the West in this upcoming year, right? So they're going to finish. You know, just by default, they're going to be, you know, they'll get the number eight pick, number six pick. You know, they're going to be, you know, they're going to lose a lot of games, Daz. They're going to lose a lot of games. Um, yeah, I'm not so, so sure. They they weren't that horrendously bad last, at the end of last season. And I know they missed the, <laughs> missed the playoffs, but they weren't, they weren't a complete no, I train liked how they I actually liked how they played. I was going on about them, right? I was... I watched, they were one of my favorite league pass teams for about a month. I just, there was something plucky about them. And Doc Rivers coached the fuck out of that team. Well, that's it. Doc Rivers isn't going to go out there and wave the white flag. So I I think they're going to be stuck in the middle. I think they're going to be around the, the 10th, 11th 
team, but they're, they're going to be out of the playoffs, and obviously that puts you into the lottery. But I still think there's going to be a number of teams worse than them. I, I think they're going to be picking around the nine ten range again. Yeah, that's not bad though, right? That's what I'm saying. I go, that's, it's hey, look, I, I, it's less distressing for me than what Dallas is doing, right? Which is you go get Luka Doncic and then go and and blow your blow your load on on DeAndre Jordan, who's going to help you help you win games. And I just what what is that? Well, I think, and we spoke about this, didn't we? The worst, the one thing you need to know in the NBA is know where your team's at, and don't right. think like the Orlando Magic have done. Continually think we're one player away. Let's go and bring Bismarck Biombo in, or let's trade for Serge Barker, or let's do what Dallas are doing and and bring John J. Jordan in. Like you're not one player away from making the playoffs. You're not. You you're three players away at best. So why not have another season? They should be looking to shop Harrison Barnes at the moment while he's got some value, rather than bringing in Oof. a big a big name for agent. Yeah, that's so. it. I mean, so go, they're just not knowing where they're at. And go, what what value does that provide you? You know, in the in not even the, in the long term, in the medium term, by paying twenty four million dollars to DeAndre. I just what value does that help you provide? Again, if you're literally just trying to help Burke, you know, have a more complete and competitive team, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's just that uh, what we continue to see in here is that Rick Carlisle is just pathologically, you know, against, you know, a tank. He's just so pathologically competitive. Um, it just can't well, I think stomach the same it. way. I think you've got to you've got ownership and coaching that they've just have no stomach for a rebuild there. Um, and I think you're seeing a little bit of that in San Antonio as well, um, yeah. just bringing back guys to just sort of tread water um, because you don't want to go. I mean, the logical thing to jump quick to the San Antonio is, to me, the logical thing is if you're moving on from Kawhi Leonard, move on from Lamarcus Aldridge, go into a rebuild, you're well-placed to do it with some with some reasonable young players. But it looks like they're just loading up and going, well, we'll see what we can get for Kawhi, and we'll load up with the same team that was a six-seven seed last year. Yeah, look, the, the some of the arguments you, that I can that you can actually start to make is the if Teodosic is your, I mean, it's one of your your anchors of the future. It's it's the the question is, does he develop better when you have a more complete right sort of starting five stroke, stroke seven man rotation? where his role and can be refined and honed and he's learning from, you know, from proper professional players and not learning from fucking, I don't know, pick your JJ Beret and Yogi Ferrell and, you know, Shaman Khan or Israel Harimi or whatever these, right. These crazy European players you get that. No one, no one knows. Again, I'm not saying they can't play you know NBA basketball. They don't, they can't play winning NBA basketball. Right. So I mean to be, um, you know, <laughs> suddenly xenophobic but my point was <laughs> I, um that wasn't the point of my story there right it was that get yourself a, a, a respectable rotation um starting five and seven man eight man rotation and that's a better way you know to develop your you know to sort of chisel out your your uncarved you know piece of granite here or piece of marble with you know with Doncic and carve it out that way rather than some you know he bouncing around the you know, the, bouncing around the team with, you know, a bunch of role players who are also trying to fight their way for their next contract or for the next meal or for their, you know, the, to get some buckets. So that's what it all fits together with a Rick, Car- Rick Carlisle type team. Mm. 
you know, credit yeah. to him for sticking out as long as he has there in Dallas. He must be he's paid handsomely, but damn, that's that's one of the more that's one of the more daunting coaching jobs, isn't there, in, in the NBA than that bloody job at the moment. Well, I'll tell you a guy who is on the hot seat, Daz, and that's uh, Mike Malone in Denver, and that's another team we wanted to talk about. And we touched on them last week, but it's, it's worth revisiting because they've now signed Isaiah Thomas. Uh, now, that's to a minimum deal as well. Uh, so, Boston, congratulations. You've done an absolute number on this guy's career. I hope you're all proud of yourselves, all the geniuses out there in the Boston front office. Uh, they get all the love from so many podcasts that I listen to, but no one ever seems yeah. to bring that that moment up. Um, so he's gone to to Denver. Uh, this, this is another team, and it's it's interesting. You know, we we cre- credited the Pels, and and to some degree Atlanta from their draft to say, look, have an identity for your franchise and know how you're going to play. And I think Denver's doing the same way, but I don't feel as positive about it as because I just think. This is this is not going to end well. Uh, running out there were just guys that play zero defense, don't have high IQs outside of Jokic, and I think Jokic has got good passing, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's got a high IQ either, from what I see. Um, and Isaiah Thomas, how does he fit into what they're wanting to do? Assuming that he's going to have a, a, a major sort of role in this in this um, offense, another chucker. I hate what Denver's doing, but again, I think this is also part of. It's not. It's not. It's not part. It is almost entirely driven by um, getting out of the repeater tax, right? They when they dumped um, Fareed and Arthur on the Nets, they saved something like nearly forty-five million dollars in salary and projected lottery and um, salary and projected tax. So they're talking big dollars for a team who, again, it'll be lucky to sneak into that. You know, six, seven, sort of six, seven, eight range. What was the, the protection on that pick? Top twelve uh, next year. So likely, which to is die, interesting. Think. Yeah, so that means they could miss the playoffs and still get the still send the pick away, right? So if they finish like ninth, um, and they pick pick thirteenth or fourteenth. They picked fourteenth this year, mm. right? When they picked Michael Porter. So very clever um, and probably smart protections on that pick. So it's going to be a, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say. That's going to be about the you know the sixteenth, eighteenth, you know sort of pick, which is a decent pick. You can get yourself a Dante DiVincenzo. Um, so, but I just don't like what they've done. I know they had to max Jokic, and we talked about that last time. They kind of had no choice on that. I don't love how much they paid Will Barton. I don't understand I, Isaiah Thomas. I mean, you see what the, he did in Cleveland last year. Um, this kid. Um, I, you can, I've, we've said it repeatedly. I know you're in the same camp. It's just impossible not to cheer for this guy. And he was a bit bitter and a bit pissy in Cleveland, right? Um, but this is this guy's just trying to get paid, right? He's got one simple motive: is to try to recapture, a, you know, second team All NBA as He was second team All NBA one year ago, and he's now on veterans minimum and going to be backing up, you know. Jamal Murray and um, well, what the Celtics did to him does. This is what NFL teams do to um, their running backs. So maybe Danny Ainge has gone yeah. over and talked to them assholes over at the Patriots and said, "How do you do things with these running backs? Running backs are paid less than punters and field goal kickers mm-hmm. in the NFL. Yep. This is what we're seeing. The guy was, as you say, and like in the MVP conversation for a period of that season." however unlikely that was going to be that that would play out, an all-NBA caliber player, 
and two seasons later he signed the minimum contract. It's it's, it's unfathomable. Yeah, look, I have, I have anybody would like to see you know Danny Ainge die in a car fire with hydrochloric acid dripping through his skull. We know with cancer of the urethra, you know. But I, I, part of me also says yes, yes, and um, much like when you, you and I had our, our, our debate around James Harden and um, and him being exhausted in 2017. Don't discount the fact that Isaiah Thomas wanted to play. I, I, so I'm also not also buying the narrative of, quote, I only did it for the team, end quote, right? I think Isaiah, again, yeah, it's but hard. So teams, they, right? teams have got to protect players from themselves to a certain degree. And I well, think they so went, nod, I, nod, wink, wink. Fair. Let's get as much as yep. we can out of this guy. And whether Danny Age is the one that makes decisions or not on that, I don't know. I think that's probably a bit unfair to just lay it all at his feet, although it's likely the case because um, he is a prick. But at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day... You got me to snort, well done. Yeah. At the end yeah. of the day, it's indefensible, I think, how they handle it. And you made a point to me today, would the Kawhi Leonard thing be as as serious as what it was if it wasn't for Isaiah Thomas? And I think there's, there's some truth to that because I can tell you now, Daz, Players in the NBA took note of that, and they're like, oh, we sure. don't want to be the next Isaiah Thomas looking at a max contract, playing as, and playing while we're injured through the playoffs, and then getting a <clears throat> an injury that we can't recover from, or coming out and looking terrible when we play, and then you know missing out on the big payday because everyone thinks we're well, damaged goods now. Yeah, yeah. It's hard not to see a correlation. I mean, or it's easy to see. And we saw today, again, I know you're tracking this, is Kawhi is now officially eligible um, for the Max. The Supermax, that's right. about, Yeah, Supermax, right. It's July 15th or 16th yep. as the clock ticked over. So I know there's no – it's hard not to draw the draw the, the correlation there. But um, back, to, back to Denver, I don't love what they've done. It's mostly probably because of the front office. I thought Michael Porter was, you know, a high-risk – you know, potentially really high reward uh, draft pick, um, but not expected to do anything pretty much this year. He can have a Harry Giles type of season. Um, so what I'm trying to go, what is the logic of signing Isaiah? What is the, you know, we've talked a lot about their inability to have any sort of, you know, high IQ and backup point guard play last season. The debacle all began with, you know, getting rid of Jameer Nelson inexplicably. So it's just hard for me to see, you know, the logic of, um, you know, the logic of Isaiah, which is a shoot well, They shoot, need second, a guy, shooter. that's right. They need yeah. a guy that can run an offense. You know, they need Andre Miller from five, six years that's ago. Right. You know, that's right. That's the sort yeah. of player they need, not Isaiah Thomas, who's just going to come out and do what he does. And he, he might score some buckets and... He's going to have his 20-point nights here and there as instant offense off the bench. But that's not what they needed. It's just not – it doesn't fill a need for this team. I would have preferred them to go and sign a Tony Parker or someone like that to just say, look, when we're having these stretches as well where we're just stuck in the mud offensively or where we're just throwing the ball away and the ball's flying all over the gym, come down, settle us down and actually run a proper NBA offense for four or five possessions. That's what they need. I don't think they know the guy's going to come off and, and be chucking up threes, step back threes um, off the dribble for, for four or five minutes at a time. 
Yeah, didn't love it. Like, I literally would have liked Rajon Rondo better there, but again, Rondo cost $9 million. Well, and, they didn't um, have the money, that's right. They only didn't have the, the money, so I kind of, if you're, if you're fishing at this end of the pool, right, it's what, basically MCW or or um, or Isaiah Thomas, and so... I just it just doesn't it just doesn't add up though. So um so well, well, the big thing get for Shabazz me, get Shabazz Napier. I thought was I get the Shabazz I Muhammad, I was gonna say, come on, Des. <laughs> or hell even Shabazz Muhammad. <laughs> but <laughs> Shabazz Napier was I think five me, so even that's probably out of their their price range. Did he get that? Oh right. I didn't see He got two I years got... two years nine million or two years ten million. Is it something something around along oh, those right. lines? Okay. I thought it was a, a minimum like a It wasn't anyway, a minimum. Yeah, though. okay. Okay. So, um, and the, well, but the other thing is, it's it's opportunity cost too. So you look back, we were screaming on this pod probably two seasons ago. Can can the Celtics get Kenneth Freed or can Milwaukee get Kenneth Freed? Like the guy had some value. I mean, unless I'm absolutely crazy, I thought he had some value to go to a team, and they've just held under him, held under him, and now he's got he's, he's actually got a negative value, and they have to attach a first round pick to get rid of him. Yeah. I know. So that's where that's where the problems come in when you're holding onto a guy and what maybe there was no market for him. I'm not sure, but I, I would have thought there would have been a tepid market at the very least for him, where he had positive, he he was a positive asset probably two seasons ago, and you wait two seasons to get rid of him, and now he's a negative asset um, that you have to attach a pick to. I, that that was the one that I couldn't understand, but a, a great deal for the Nets, and we might move on to the Nets now because I know looking at winners of the off-season so far, you're a big fan of what they've done, um, which includes that trade, um, also trading Jeremy Lin to the Hawks, which was a head-scratcher to me, and apparently the Hawks knocked back the Denver deal, so they didn't want to take on the salary of Farid and Arthur, which, to me, that's more of a head-scratcher than the the Lin trade for the Hawks. Shouldn't they be in the position to be doing that sort of a deal? Yeah, unless the, so, just talking about Atlanta then for a second. So the the only th- thought I had is that is that a precursor to them trying to do something with Schroeder, who and they'd love to try and trade him, right? So that's what I was still maybe holding out pure judgment on the Lynn Lynn deal until we see what happens to Schroeder, because I just can't I can't imagine one I can't imagine them playing together. You know, Lynn could shoot a little bit, Schroeder can't shoot much at all. Um, but then two, you know, um, uh, you know, so they, they can't really play together. And did you sign, did you give up a pick and want to pay Jeremy Lin, what, 10 million bucks to come off the bench, which also doesn't make a ton of sense, does it? So Jeremy Lin's a, he's a good enough player to start, right? Um, well, so he'll play, like, Daz, I'm sorry, Jeremy Lin will play five games and be injured again. Uh, he's just, well, he's also had a terrible injury history. Like the yeah. last injury, yeah. his knee literally exploded. So this yeah, guy, <laughs> this guy is just literally a ticking time bomb. And I love yeah, okay. I love Lynn Sanity. I like Jeremy Lynn's game. I, I, I would love to see him come back and uh, and play really well. But if you're making deals on the assumption that Jeremy Lynn's going to play more than, gee, more than 40 games for you, honestly, more than 40 games, I think you, you're playing... You're not playing with house money anymore. You're playing, you're putting your mortgage on that. But what am I missing then? So I go, why why were the assets? And I had to reread this deal twice, where the asset went back to Brooklyn, right? That the second round pick went back to Brooklyn. Oh yeah, that's so, right. I thought it was a salary dump, and they threw in the second round draft pick. 
That's the only I'm thing I'm thinking the, the, is maybe the the recovery from Lynn's injury, you know, is is not a it's like even though the injury sounded terrible when it happened, maybe the recovery is actually a better prognosis than doing your ACL a couple of times. That's the only thing I could say, and maybe there is an expectation there that he's that he's going to take the call. But this is a guy that's not only had knee problems; he's had problems with with a lot of other parts of his body as well. Yeah, yeah. So look, I guess from Atlanta's perspective, he's on an expiring. I don't know. I don't know what the logic is. I haven't quite heard it from their perspective. Um, you know, with you know with Schroeder and with, I guess Trey Young. Forgetting Trey Young, he should probably play a ton. Well, they're probably already right. panicking over Trey Young summer league performance, and they're looking. Yeah, for a bit of, it, it's a couple of games that he, he quitted himself, but that didn't. It didn't start well, did it? But um. Yeah, but I've liked Brooklyn's offseason, though, right? So, again, aside from this, hey, look, they got off of the Lynn contract, which is a win, and got a second rounder. And, and we already talked about the Nuggets deal where they got, I think Fareed can still play a little bit. Um, he can probably play a little bit next to Jared Allen and play a little bit of small ball five, you know, on the on the second unit. And yep. just, you know, you know, clean the glass a bit and you know, initiate the break. And got a, got a first rounder from there. And it's just clear, what, you know, with these two trades that they're, restocking the the chest right? the long drained you know war chest of picks that went went to the fucking celtics they're finally starting to acquire additional picks in addition to the ones that they have you know moving forward well you know the they best move ton- the best sorry to interrupt you but the best move okay. they made was when they heard dwight howard say i'm actually open to playing for you and they said thanks dwight we're waving you anyway yeah because you know, there's always a Grunfeld waiting for you, right? There's always a Grunfeld. Well, that's a smart franchise. I mean, and what Sean Marks took over there, you wouldn't have wished on your worst enemy. But the job he's done um, has been, I think, very, very good. And it's looking like it could be spectacular if they can continue to pull off those sort of moves. And obviously now the pressure comes because you're going to have high draft picks uh, to be playing with in, in the coming years as well. Yeah. So they've used their cap space really well. Um, they got a pick this year, right? They had that Musa, that kid who was at one time kind of projected at, you know, not in the lottery, but mid-first round who dropped to them at 29, kind of a super skilled but super raw, you know, European kind of wing, um, sort of a hybrid Kukoc, Petrovic kind of player. Um, so, they've, you know, they got some – they're starting to build. They're starting to build and just collect young players and future assets, and they're going to lose a – they're going to lose a shit ton of games again uh, this year, and, and, and but then they get their pick next year, don't they, for the first time in a long time. And very, very clean cap sheets. So mm. you can see, you can see a strategy there, and you can see that you can see a light at the end of the tunnel there. And if they kind of go through a Philly-like process now and, and and start to get some lottery picks in the next two or three seasons, you'll you know you'll start to see them rise from the ashes. But not yet. But you love you love that you see a strategy and a plan, and they've got the they got the stomach for it, and um, it's not easy to do, as we just talked about with teams like Dallas and the Clippers seem um, incapable of of doing a similar kind of teardown rebuild. Well, they've got the patience, and that's where they got themselves into this mess in the first place by not having the patience um, to sort of you know, even 
when they were at a level of contenders, they wanted to sort of go for the championship right away and obviously mortgage their future. And we've seen how that's turned out for them. Um, yeah. So it wasn't good. Another team that I really liked, um, and we spoke about Philadelphia, but I think it's worth revisiting their off-season. I think outside, Golden State obviously had a, a very good off-season as well. We didn't even talk about Jarebko, who they bought in, who I really liked. Should, should be a good fit there. But you look at what Philly did. Okay, they missed out on LeBron James, but they brought back the two, I think the two best shooters in free agency were JJ Redick, who they brought back, and Berlitzer from Minnesota, who they brought in uh, as an unrestricted free agent. Um, Cormaz has looked good so far in um, Summer League. Bowen's coming over from, the, from overseas. He's looked all right in Summer League. Uh, they picked up Wilson Chandler in the trade. I think Wilson Chandler's a perfect player to play in this rotation, and I don't think enough's been made about that, actually, because I think this is a guy that can come in, and they're not going to ask him to do a hell of a lot. So this is another guy that's been injury-prone, but I don't think they're going to be asking him to play big minutes. And, uh, oh, and by the way, they also got another first-round pick to walk away with out of the draft from that heist uh, of the Phoenix Suns. So considering they had no GM Daz. Zaire Smith, right? Yeah. And Zaire Smith, and then they get in the draft and the pick um, because of the Macau Bridges. Oh, of course, thing. yeah. They Miami got the Miami pick. pick. Um, so for, when you look at it and you think they had no GM, so just before all this breaks, you know, the whole thing with Colangelo and the ringer, uh, they sack him, and everyone goes, well, Philly are sort of going to be dead ducks in the off-season off with no GM. Well... If it is Brett Brown pulling the strings there, he's done a great job. But whoever's there uh, really advising him and making the decisions, I think they've they've hit a home run to me. Yeah, again, the team that puts themselves in this position to have tons of options and and good cap space and lots of draft picks. You just it's you're almost it's almost hard not to have a good off season, even despite of the you know the calendrical you know Eric Junior you know um, Twitter gate that went on there. So um. Yeah, they, when you, you know, it's a, it's we talk about it so much. Like every pundit and every podcast talks about it because it's so important. Is contracts and 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 use of cap space, and years and years, not dollars, as, as Dunk says, right? <laughs> so it's so important. They've done it. They've done it pretty well, right? Even without, even post Hinky, you know, you got to say they have kept their cap sheet really clean. And um, yeah, they're they're. Their future still hinges on the the bones in Embiid's feet and Simmons doing something to add to his game. But it, the yeah the the current and the future are, are bloody bright, and they had another smart off season. And apparently they're going to had all kinds of draft picks right as well. They've had five or they have ended up making I think four second rounders this year. They had two first round picks and four second rounders this year. So they've got a small army of players to fill G league teams and two way contracts and so mm. just maximum use of all their, just maximum use of their assets. You just have to tip your hat. Oh, they've done well. And Markel Fultz is apparently, well, according to them looking very good, um, in, in his off-season regime at the moment. So we'll wait and see. And, of course, they're still being talked about as a potential Kawhi Leonard destination. Um, let's talk, another term to talk about is OKC, I thought was a winner in Fragi. Just from the point of view of you look at it and think, I don't see how it could have gone any better for them. They re-signed Paul George, which is obviously the main priority for them heading into the off-season. They say goodbye to Mello, um, although they're still paying him. He's not going to be on the roster, which I think that's that's a good win for them. 
Uh, and they also got Nerlens Noel on a cheap deal. And he's another guy that's going to have something to prove. And that's a nice sort of guy to back up Stephen Adams, I think, because he plays a similar sort of style. He's going to be high energy, get some rebounds, maybe block some shots. I don't think they're going to be asking him to do a hell of a lot, but he could be a reasonable contributor for them, particularly with their defence first focus and obviously with Russ in the ball. You're not going to be asking him to do much in terms of a usage point of view. So did you, did you sort of see that? I know you're, you're not that high on Paul George overall as a player, but from, from OKC's point of view, um, it, it couldn't have gone much better, could it? Well, I guess I've, I've become high on Paul George as you have to now, as a, you know, as as Robin to Russ's Batman. So he's just sort of taken, he's proven that he doesn't want to be the alpha or can't be or doesn't want to be or... Or a little bit of both, but um, yeah. They, they, I mean, you're doing backflips in in OKC if you're to keep Paul George, which felt like a foregone conclusion pretty much the entire season. So yeah, that that that's that by itself. And, you know, getting Ray Felton again, t- talking about you know just serviceable backup point guards. You can do worse than Ray Felton, i.e., what Denver didn't do. You know, that's that's the type of player I wanted Denver to get. Just get a guy who can run the body offense. Um, so little little things like that, you know. Mm. You'd love to see OKC get you know deeper into their bench and have you know, a little more balance that way. So um, just solid solid off season. Um, did they resign? They signed Jeremy Grant as well, right? Yeah, um, they said Jeremy thought, Grant came back too. That's right. Yeah, which again it was a he had a bit of a coming up party in the playoffs and showed off his athleticism and his switchability and all that, and so. Yeah, you know, I, it's and getting rid of just well, having again the addition by subtraction. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, you could find out what you have now with um, with the new sort of big three. So with, with Adams, I guess, being the third wheel. So yeah, it's, it, you, you you never know, right? It's a in, in an era where you're probably not going to win the title. Why not be a, you know be a really fun really fun team um, who wins lots of games and good on good on them well here's the team I finally found the team that has done nothing and that's the Toronto Raptors they apart from re-signing Fred Van Vliet who was obviously already on the roster uh, as far as I'm aware they've not bought in one free agent now bring them up partly because they're also now being mentioned as the Kawhi Leonard destination and they're actually the someone mentioned they were favourites to sign Kawhi Leonard. I think there's a Vegas sports book that just puts out tweets about new Kawhi Leonard markets just to get idiots like me to read it um, because they were like even money favourites and I shook my head and thought, well, how would you know that? So, but the the trade I've sort of heard, and obviously there's variations of it, is, you know, DeRozan, uh, Ananobi and say a Powell or a Wright or a Pirtle, you know, something like that, and then they get um, Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green back for, for argument's sake, right? And maybe there's a little bit of picks going back and forth or whatever with that as well. Do you see, I mean, does that is that something that would, would make sense for both sides from your point of view? Um, and, and what have you made of, I guess, what Toronto's doing in terms of, at, at this stage at least, reloading up with what they've got for next season? Or do they need to make a big splash like that and say, let's go for it? Well, everyone sort of reported that the entire Toronto's Raptors uh, roster was up for sale, basically. Like, everyone was tradable and gettable. It was kind of rumblings we heard, you know, up to the draft and even into, into the free agency. And that they've done nothing, right? Which, again, 
this probably speaks a little bit to the you know the nature of the contracts like Kyle Lowry is borderline untradeable on that on that contract and DeRozan was exposed again in the playoffs as he's been for every year since we've been watching him in the playoffs he's just exposed as a you know um it's a bit of a one-way one-dimensional mid-range player who just cannot cannot thrive in this version of the of, of the NBA in the playoffs so I don't know if their asking price has been too high or this, the demand is too low. It's probably a little bit of both. So, but back, back to your point, though, about about Kawhi, I go, that would tend to be a move of a front office who was desperate for their job, you know, like a Stan Van Gundy trying to go get Blake because of all the risks you have with him. Uh, character, injury, contract, all, all three are... are are questionable. Mm. So if you're Masai Ujiri, who I really respect, you you don't, I think they made their big giant move, which was getting rid of Casey and promoting Nick Nurse, um, keeping Van Vliet. You know, Ananobis looked great. Ananobis looked way too good to be playing in Summer League. You know, so they've got, again, still some upside there and some youth on that team. And so I just, a Kawhi, a Kawhi trade where you you deplete your, you know, deplete your depth for a one-year rental. I don't see happening, and so it's just this old question again, right? If he gave any indication that he'd resign, now you're talking something different. Now you're talking, yeah, maybe you do trade DeRozan and an OB and another asset to get, you know, to get um, get a Kawhi and change the dynamic of that team. But man, you just you just can't do it if he's gonna if he's only gonna be a one-year rental. No. So in terms of a, of a theoretical fit, I would have. And I would love to see if, in the current climate, this wouldn't make any sense for 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 San Antonio though. Is if instead of DeRozan, where you had you had Kyle Lowry in for some salary matching, and to send a bit of a, you know, to send him out of the way and let Fred Van Vliet run the team with Kawhi and DeRozan, and slide DeRozan to the two, and let Kawhi play the three. Now it's a more interesting team to me than than. Um, uh, not aging so well, Kyle Lowry and and Kawhi. To be honest, I don't know if you actually make your team that much better um, if you're if you're Toronto in that regard. So that was my again. I don't think that makes any sense for San Antonio to want Kyle Lowry back, to say the least. No, um, that's the thing. I mean, San right. Antonio would want yeah. obviously Ananobi and and DeRose. I think would have to be part of any deal. Yeah, of course, of course. But I think if you're yeah. Toronto, you just say look. We'll back our own development. And Anobi, he's not. You know, if he, he might not make the Kawhi Leonard level, but he he might be a he could be an all star. Who knows? He could be an all star in the East next year. That's the way the Eastern Conference is looking. He could go on a Jalen Brown type trajectory. He could. He could. He's got the physical tools to be a Jalen Brown esque type of player. So, yeah, I was thinking again as much respect as we have for Ujiri, it just doesn't doesn't make sense unless that deal really 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 you know secures toronto you know in the medium well the thing about the toronto term. is yeah they've got a nice young base there and this is what i said when they when they lost the Cleveland, i was like okay everyone's down lebron's probably gone from the east now you've got a really nice young core of players still if i'm a toronto fan i'm still glass half full without a doubt about this team um it just 
you, you wonder, was are these the years that are going to be the years where you had the chance to win the Eastern Conference title? Because obviously Boston and, and Philly have, have got a better trajectory, but you, you're not that far behind them either, I don't think. Um, and I think Van Vliet was fantastic last year. We mentioned Anobi, but you've also got Pirtle, you've got Powell who's played some nice minutes, um, you've got Siakam who's played well at times. And, and these are all only young guys, that's so... Even Delon Wright. Delon Wright, they've yeah. All had, they've all had moments, yeah. So, and, and who knows, maybe Nick Nurse is the, the difference. I don't actually think that'll be the case, but we'll wait and see um, what what um, what impact he has on the Raptors next year. But I agree, I, I thought it was fanciful, um, the the trade stories coming out. and uh, But there's, this, there's just such a... There's such a dearth of news about Kawhi Leonard and there's so much clickbait out there at the moment. Um, teams are just... I think you're going to see teams continually being thrown in the mix um, just to give the media something to talk about on this story until the well, inevitable happens. Nothing's going to happen until his group, right, quote-unquote, gives an indication that he's willing to resign somewhere. I mean, nothing's going to happen. Well, they if put it out there that helping. he would consider yeah. Philly. That was all, all they said about that. Mm-hmm. And, but, the, yeah. but the option, the, the preference is still the Lakers. And the Lakers are not showing any willingness um, to move on from the young club. No, no. So, um, let's finish up tonight, Daz. We'll talk a little bit about Summer League. I'm not sure how much Summer League you, you've caught. It sort of seemed to me to be this year... A lot of teams throughout their their good players for the sort of early edition or early games, and then just punted uh, when it came to the tournament part. I know the Spurs certainly did that, um, and uh, Milwaukee. I think Dante didn't play that much for them either. I'm not sure if they're still even in it. I know that Cleveland and the Lakers are playing, so there's a bit of an interest there. And LeBron turned up to watch the Lakers today, which was quite interesting as well. It's probably a big thrill for the the crowd there to see um, the King walk in. Have you caught any of, of summer leagues? Any players sort of jumped out and caught your eye, over good or bad, at this point? I just watch flashes, right? I don't obviously watch the games. Um, that's something it seems like you can only really take in if you're live and really appreciate it. So I've seen flashes and seen my highlights, and you know the obvious players who've stood out are um, Wendell Carter, who just looks like the real deal, sort of looks like the best center in in all the summer league, which. Again, everyone could have said even before the draft, very, very high floor kind of guy with some upside. So Wendell Carter's look really good. Um, the other guy who's looked really good um, is Kevin Knox. Have you seen him play at all? I've seen some yeah. of the highlights. The guy can yeah. jump out of the gym. Jeez, yes. Yeah, that's the one that's really popped. So again, I hate to sort of almost have sympathy for the Knicks, but almost good on the Knicks. You know, for 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 apparently, right? Again, it's summer league, and the, the overreactions are are many. Um, but being stifled in a bloody that Kentucky awful, god awful system under Calipari, where it's just a you know, it just throws athletes all over the floor with no bloody fucking rhyme or reason, is that Kevin Knox actually probably is going to be as they're sort of you're starting to see very early signals. He could be a much better pro player than he was a college player because he have space. And, and you know, place to move, and so that's reason to be excited. I think, and based on the little flashes that we've seen of, of Knox, so so good on you, Knicks fans. And um, who else does? Who else has jumped out at you? Well, Those some of the second that... year players. I mean, Jonathan Isaac's looked really good. Uh, for, for Orlando, good, yes. uh, Mo Bomber actually looked at, at least from a physical specimen point of view, and you can see what they're building there in terms of the length. 
of uh, Isaac next to uh, Mo Bomber from a def- defensive point of view. So they're going all length. That's obviously the John Hammond influence coming to the fore there in Orlando. Um, so they look good. Uh, Trey Young, as, as we mentioned, he, he struggled early on but had a couple of uh, reasonable games. Actually, Mo Wagner had a nice game too, Daz. I'm not sure if you caught, yeah. caught his first. He got injured since, but uh, when he first uh, came out for the Lakers, um, I talked to a Lakers fan. He was making Joel Embiid comparisons, Daz. So they're, they've, uh, they're very, very excited. Um, that was the biggest overreaction I saw um, of the summer league so far, but they were very excited about what he did. And uh, plugged to my Spurs, I thought Lonnie Walker, even though his shot selection was terrible, by you, the guy's got that some athleticism, and I think. Um, but what we're hearing yes. from from the Donovan Mitchell sort of story is, and, and you touched on it with Kevin Knox, when you go from the college game to the NBA game, you actually get more space, um, and you'd think it'd be less space, but there's actually because of the man on man defenses and all the switching and that, you actually end up getting more space. And some of these guys that have that sort of level of athleticism that Mitchell has, and that Mitch, uh, Don, Lonnie Walker has, Kevin Knox has they can actually make the leap more than what you probably think um, heading into a season. So I'll be interested to see how much the Spurs play Lonnie Walker next year because um, from an athleticism point of view, he's ready to go, Daz. He had one put-back dunk that looked Donovan Mitchell-esque, um, but as I say, his shot selection still leaves a lot to be desired, but obviously a lot of time to iron out those kinks um, mm-hmm. as well. And I'll tell you, Christian Wood, I did watch a bit of the... the the Bucks. If they don't get him on the roster as some sort of a backup centre, um, I'll, I'll be surprised if he doesn't land somewhere in the NBA because um, there's a lot of centres running around. I think the less less than him, he, he looked all right to me. He does. He's just he's just not very explosive, and he's a bit wispy. So he's a bit thon like, um, but he's super super productive. So it's hard to overlook. And again, he's only it's remarkable. He's only 21 years old. Seems like he's been around forever, 21, 22, so he's, he's 22. So hopefully he gets on a sort of a G League contract, um, or a two-way would be a sort of a nice, be a nice sort of fourth option. But I think he's looking for, as yeah, a guy, definitely he was auditioning for all all 30 teams, that's for sure. But um, yeah, a bit of a traditional big, that's the thing. He could be a rim runner, you know, um, really good rebounder, actually. And yeah, we'll see. That's We'll see. Here's a player a... to watch next year too, um, and that's Frank Jackson from uh, New Orleans. Now, he didn't play. He was yeah. about to play in Summer League. You might have forgotten about him. Uh, they're really raving about him in New Orleans, and they think he's going to play a part uh, this season. So that's just a name to keep in the back of your mind um, because New Orleans, they knew, I think they need that extra player, particularly now Rondo's gone. You're asking... Um, you're asking Alfred Payton and they run that team from the point. I think they're gonna you're gonna see a bit of Frank Jackson off the bench. Um so that's that's a player to to keep an eye on um as the season goes on, does. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of second year players, um, with the same last name I've um can't help but but maybe we'll end on the, the depression of the Phoenix Suns where um Josh Jackson has looked awful. <laughs> he can't throw it in the ocean. Um, still plays defense even in summer league, but he looks he looks terrible. He looks dreadful. But on the flip side, I mean, Mikael Bridges has looked really. He's actually looked looked better um, than than Josh Jackson that quickly. So boy, boy, howdy, Phoenix! It looks like that they've struck out on Chris and Dragon Bender. 
and I'm not saying summer league means you're striking out, but when you can't throw it in the ocean for, for five games and you have plenty of chances to do it, that's just not a great sign. You know, not well, a the other great the other team that wasn't a great sign for was the Sacramento Kings because they threw out what I would <sighs> almost think is going to be their starting lineup um, at crazy. times, and they got smoked by Golden State, who don't probably don't have <laughs> one player there that will be a part of their team. And uh, the, I think they scored like fifty five points, Daz, and it was just like, what is going on with this team? Like they they just look terrible. Um, Harry Giles had a couple of good moments. That's probably all I'd say. But um, Bagley, yeah. Bagley did not look great and then got Ooh, injured. He did not. Um, and Aiton outplayed him. Um, not that that's an opportunity cost, obviously, because Aiton was another one pick. But um, even, you know, um, they had... Uh, it was Corley Stein there, I think. Um, they certainly had... No! No, it wasn't really Corley didn't. Stein. What was, who was the other guy? They had another, another centre, I think, that they drafted. Jeez, I'm trying to remember this. But anyway, they had oh, Frank, well, Frank Mason played. Obviously, he's not the the, yeah. the centre, but he was there as their point guard. Darren Fox played, I think, one or two games. But yeah, they just looked absolutely terrible. Which was they're going to lose a lot of games. <laughs> and they, does they don't have their pick? No, they don't have their pick next year. Guess who has their pick? Oh. Let's leave it on a happy note. Guess who has their pick next year? Philly or Boston, right? No, not Philly or Boston. It's Boston. It's Boston? It's Boston. Yeah, oh, it's yeah, actually, sure. it's top one protected. It's top one protected for the for the 70s. It would, yeah, actually, right. we should be rooting from the lose so Philly get the one pick. Although, I don't think you have any love for Philly either. No, Mein Kampf. It's, you know, back to the <laughs> 80s for once the Bucks start to get relevant. <laughs> trying to get through the Sixers and the Celtics again, just like the eighties. Yeah. Well, the, so the semifinals tomorrow of the Las Vegas Summer League: the Cavs against the Lakers and the Grizzlies against the Blazers. So maybe the Cavs can win Summer League, um, just to ease the suffering of their fans and what's been a pretty tough off season so far, Des. Yeah, well, they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna win. It feels like the Vegas, right? The Lakers are basically playing home games there, and Josh Hart. Sort of feels like he's he's dialed up, he's dialed in. He's looks like he's going to win the MVP almost no matter what. And looks like a heck of a player again. Summer league, but it looks good. Josh Hart, two way player, size, defensive minded, kind of a leader on the floor. It's like the anti Lonzo, yeah. Oh, he's the guy I wanted for the Spurs, and the um, I think they they picked Derek White, and then then he went to the Lakers. Then they're very yeah. pick. And I was he like, was my Brogdon pick. pick I loved Josh Hart too. I go, that's that's Brogdon point two, Brogdon part two there. Mm. No, he's going to be a good player. Guy. He's going to be a yeah. good player, no doubt. Yeah. All right, Daz, we'll leave it there, mate. We'll see what what sort of news we come up with, and no doubt we'll um, we'll come up with a few other things to talk about as the off season rolls on. But we're sort of are winding down what the the free agency side of things now. Uh, so it's more a matter of uh, I guess taking stock and and seeing where we sort of where we're looking forward to next year and as you said earlier it's probably more about looking for um, the contenders underneath Golden State um, and who's going to be the second best team in the NBA as much as anything else Yeah I don't think a Rodney Hood signing or Marcus Smart signing is going to be a cause for an emergency pod so um, you never know something something crazy happens in a sign and trade but yep. yeah I think Kawhi is the only shoe left to really drop 
I think Capella will probably land on the contract back in Houston by all measures, just trying to get the dollars right. But I also don't think Kawhi's not going to happen soon as it does. That's going to... Oh, I don't think that that'll go into September. That'll go into yeah, September. Yeah, the, the drug that'll go all summer on it. Yep. Well, there yep. is suggestions, just finally on that, that they, they want Kawhi to play for Team USA where Pop is actually coaching. And then there may be further opportunities to mend the relationship. So we'll wait and see, I guess, how that plays out um, at this point as well. Yeah, so, not a bad idea. Yep. Yeah. All right, Daz, good to talk to you again, mate. Thanks for staying up, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again during the week and uh, hopefully next week. See you, Daz. Thanks, mate. Bye.